Heine, P. Heine, P. Heine, P. Wajani wina, Jankishna, Hinikargi wina. Hanachni, P. Arajara wi, P. G. Wonangshana. Amkre haramihe hamche. We wake up a carapana noop naga hakeweje. Iji karekja wi. Good morning and greetings from the land of eleven nations. Or as everyone else calls it, Wisconsin. I am doing fantastic this morning, and I sincerely hope all of you are doing as well. What well, was so much going on in the world today, and there appears to be so much going on, I thought that maybe we could share a couple of moments together here and try to figure out our little place in it. How do we fit into this world, and what can we do together to build and better our Ho-Chunk Nation? Time, being the most precious gift the Creator has bestowed upon us, I sincerely want to thank each and every one of you for spending yours here with me. If you'd like to get in contact with me, give me a ring if you have my number. I'm in my office down there 24-7, and if I don't pick up, leave a message. I'm really good at returning phone calls rather quickly. If you don't have my number, fear not. We can still conversate in a variety of manner, in a variety of ways. I'm pretty active on a Chipotle Facebook page. I post uh, businesses, successes of other nations because uh, we haven't started or accomplished these things for ourselves. We could, but... Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. I tell you, two of the biggest opportunities I see in social media are Instagram. I guess I would have to include TikTok here, but I don't use it, so I'll excuse myself from this conversation. And YouTube. It's crazy that I see what's right in front of me, but I'm failing to capitalize on it. Or any other Ho-Chunk that I see, really. The legislature overrides the president's veto. State of emergency continues for Ho-Chunk Nation. You can't see this, but I wrote the preceding sentence in bold caps. I'm looking at a press release from the office of the president on February 16, 2023. The headline reads... Presidential veto 2-16-23 supports Ho-Chunk Nation Department of Labor and Emergency Manager. The statement reads as follows. On February 14, 2023, the Ho-Chunk Nation Legislature adopted Resolution 02-14-23E, which approved a limited basis state of emergency. On February 16, 2023, President White Eagle has vetoed the legislature's actions on the grounds that it circumvents the executive branch's authority to protect the health and welfare of the Ho-Chunk Nation's citizens and its interests. The legislature's resolution is deeply concerning because it neglects the consultation of the Department of Labor and its emergency manager, who have the authority to make decisions regarding any declaration of emergency. The resolution also ignores that the Ho-Chunk Nation is no longer in a state of emergency, nearing the end of a recovery phase and moving toward normal operations. President White Eagle continues to trust in the Ho-Chunk Nation's experienced departments and management to make informed decisions on the well-being of the nation, its people, and employees. From the desk of the Ho-Chunk Legislature, Ho-Chunk Nation Legislature Rescission and Restatement of Resolution 4-28-20B Continued Declaration 
of state of emergency for Ho-Chunk Nation in response to COVID-19. Resolution 02-14-23E. Reading through all the whereases, a couple of things uh, to pull out. A, President Biden announced on January 30th, 2023, that the Federal Declaration of Emergency related to COVID-19 would expire on May 11th. B, as well as the, as of 2022, the emergency declaration for the state of Wisconsin COVID-19 response expired. And C, the Ho-Chunk president, President White Eagle, rescinded its administrative order. Quote, in light of the continued recovery of the Ho-Chunk Nation from the pandemic, improvements in tribal community health and vaccination from COVID-19 and its variants, and the upcoming expiration of the National Declaration of Emergency, the legislature has reassessed its last declaration of state of emergency set forth in Resolution 4-28-20B, and the leg legislature finds it appropriate to update the nation's declaration of state of emergency, maintain limited aspects of the emergency while continuing to assess the viability of any ongoing declaration of emergency. This seems like a pretty big deal. Does the legislature still has the nation under a state of emergency? The president says, no, this is ridiculous. But the legislature votes to reinstate it. I'd say we'd like some explanations. I would like some explanations. The president said that he was going to rely on the uh, judgment of his managers and executive directors. Legislature says, nah, we can't trust those guys. Now, at the legislative meeting, executive, executive directors from a couple of Ho-Chunk Nation departments challenged the legislature as to this course of action. In response, the legislature sat mute. And when the opportunity arose, legislators chirped in, The question's been called, Mr. President. The question's been called. And attempted to force a vote. President retorted that, hey, Robert's Rules of Order has never been codified, so the presiding officer still controls the meeting. After much haranguing, during which time the legislature offered nothing, nothing in the way of why this cause of action was the correct one, the meeting was at a standstill as an individual was attempting to log into the meeting and testify against the state of emergency's continuation. During this lull, the legislature continued to offer nothing in the way of facts as to why this temporary state of emergency was necessary. In the end, the gentleman failed to log in and the legislature finally bulldozed their way through and voted to override the veto. After the meeting, rumors flew fast and furious as to why the legislature acted in this manner. The loudest, hold on here, the loudest being that with the state of emergency, the legislature can continue to pay the nation the general welfare payments of $800 per month instead of reinstating per cap and to begin paying into the Ch Children's Trust Fund once again. How one begets the other, I haven't found out yet. I'm just assuming that under this declaration, the legislature doesn't have to abide by standard operating rules and they can pretty much do what they want. Now, I'm just reporting on a very loud rumor. Very, very loud rumor. However, I did reach out to several uh, legislatures asking for the motivation behind this action. 
as of this podcast, no one has gotten back to me and given me the motivation behind reordering the state of emergency. Now, in full disclosure, one legislature did get back to me and gave me the original 42820B legislative state of emergency edict. I give this one legislator credit for at least getting back to me. One of the things I've been crying about since this podcast began is the lack of communication between the legislature and the people. That type of legislating might have worked back before social media, when the Moccasin Telegraph and the Wodak were the only means of communication. But that were the only means of information dissemination. By the time we heard of action taken back then, the barn door was wide open and everybody and everything had gone out the pasture. Our legislatures and our legislative candidates have to do a whole lot better communicating their actions. Did the legislature get out into the community at any of these area meetings recently and explain what they plan to do? Why not? Did any of the legislative candidates stand before the people at any of these forums and say, I will communicate with you. I will tell you what is happening inside our government. No. They all roll over and say that we have to be careful with the information we share. They are not even elected and our legislative candidates are already falling into line, firmly establishing themselves in the legislative club. We don't want our competitors to hear our proprietary information. Proprietary information? We're not doing anything. We're not creating anything. We're not building anything. What proprietary information are we shielding our competitors from? Our casino profits? You just go to the state of Wisconsin, see how much we pay, and then extrapolate. When you're in last place, nobody cares how you're doing it. Ask yourself, why did the legislature really override the president's veto and keep the Ho-Chunk Nation in a state of emergency? Good morning, everyone. Today we have presidential candidate Lynette Walker with us. Good morning, Lynette. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm doing really good. Well, this is your first time uh, with us, so we'd like to get... uh, Get a brief uh, overview of who you are and where you're from and your qualifications. So um, if you just give us a brief description and we'd be uh, glad to start this interview. Sure. Uh, good morning and thank you for allowing me to be here. My name is Lynette Walker. My Ho-Chunk name is Ho-Hum Chikarenga. I come from Pachinunk and that is Wittenberg, Wisconsin. And I've been there for a number of years. I grew up there. I think I moved away for maybe a year or two, Um, but that is where I've done most of my living. And that is where I come from now. And I'm looking forward to, um, you know, um, to this conversation, to this interview. And hopefully you can learn a little bit more about me. Thank you. Uh, Could we get a little um, introduction to your family? Sure. My family, uh, my father is Lorenzo Funmaker. My mother is Georgianne Whitewing Funmaker. And my grandparents are Lucy and Adam Funmaker on my dad's side. And my, my other grandparents are George and Violet Whitewing on my mom's side. Thanks. Um, well, let's just get into it then. 
Uh, why are you running for the office of the president and why should we vote for you? Okay. All right. So I was thinking about this, how I would answer this question. And one of the things I thought about was uh, an assignment that I had uh, for grad school. And it was for us to create our own uh, like mission statement. You know, what what would it be that that we want to grab people's attention by talking about what we can bring? And that's that's like the hardest thing for me is to brag upon myself, you know, because it was something that we were not taught to do. But I do want to share uh, my mission statement with you, and, and hopefully that will help people understand, you know, a little bit more about me. So my mission statement for myself is, it is with gratitude and authenticity that I will embrace my choices, past, present, and future, meeting life's challenges with creativity, hard work, and a compassion for others. And so I really feel like um, the hard work part is what I would really love people to know about me is that I'm, I'm willing to, you know, learn to educate myself. If I do not know something about an, a topic or a situation um, that I would want to first educate myself on what it is um, people are concerned about or what it is we need to work on and then go from there. And, and, you know, what are the baselines? What are the things that we need to understand about this topic so that we can move it forward? Um, hearing from the people, you know, getting a little bit of what they have to say about a situation and using that and, and really putting in the work to, to, to do the best job and create the best decision that we can for whatever that may be. What, um, you mentioned grad school. I didn't pick that up on your introduction. Uh, what's your education? Okay. So my education kind of coincides with my life. Um, I started out um, working with um, Head Start for the Ho-Chunk Nation in Wittenberg. I was a center director, lead teacher. And one of the first um, kind of like duties and responsibilities I had was being a supervisor. So ever since then, which is like uh, over 25 years ago that I started working for the nation, um, I said, okay, I need to try to do something with my myself because I need to up my skills. And so the first degree that I got was an associate um, in supervisory management. And so the whole time that I've worked for the nation, I've always been in a capacity to supervise people. And so I was like, well, let me try this. You know, let me see if I can do this. And I also got to use life experience towards earning college credit, which is really awesome. You know, to be able to do that kind of made it easier for myself and I could write about what it was I was learning about in school. So everything just kind of like coincided with that one. And so when I finished that one, there was a program um, that was at, because I was able to do that, they have like a collaboration with different universities. The tech school that I went to had a collaboration with different universities where I could um, put that degree towards the next step, which would be a bachelor's degree. And so when I did that, I became junior status at UWGB. And I worked and I obtained my bachelor's degree in integrative leadership with an emphasis in human development. And then um, I kind of waited just a little while. And then I was like, okay, we need to keep keep going. And so I started um, a program actually the same time that COVID hit. Uh, when COVID hit, you know, a lot of us had to stay home. We had to isolate. We had to really watch what we were doing. And it's like, I'm going to need something to do. This is a really prime opportunity for me to work on my master's degree. And so my master's degree is from the University of Stevens Point, University of Wisconsin, Stevens Point, excuse me. And it is in um, community and organizational leadership. So that's my, that's my education. Very nice. Very nice. Let me segue into this real quick. Um, you're running for president. So as president of the Ho-Chunk Nation, uh, what are your priorities? 
Okay. So priorities uh, would include, I, um, I was at the forum last night in, in Black River Falls, and this kind of question came up. And I was talking about relationship building, but I only had like two or three minutes to get it all in. And so I felt like I didn't have the opportunity to talk about, you know, the what I was thinking more in depth. And so building building would be a priority. So the building of relationships between uh, myself and say like um, my employees or any of the people and, and then building team, building a team. You know, this throughout throughout my work life with the nation, I've had many opportunities to um, build a team. Sometimes I've hand selected my team because I've seen their strengths. I seen what they're really good at. I seen what they can do. I seen their work and really observing people in, you know, in their own element of, of work and watching what's happening. And so I think that's going to be a key right there for priority is to build these teams what are these teams going to be who are, who is going to be on who's going to be a willing participant in it sometimes but then who am i going to like hand select for um the positions that need to be filled and then um building an understanding uh of what currently exists um building an understanding and educating myself on the issues that are there because i don't want to just like say okay no that's it we're not going to pick up where you left off Maybe some of those things won't be able to be picked up uh, where the person previously left them. Um, and we may have to look at them and kind of like decide, okay, what's our priority now? What is this going to be? What are, what are the outcomes going to be? And really just building a solid foundation for whatever's going to happen next, you know, the next four years, the next, you know, however long that's going to be is to just build that foundation so that we can build upon it and use what currently exists there and just put it all together and make something really, really awesome for, for the people of the Ho-Chunk Nation with them involved, of course. You mentioned strengths. So let me uh, kind of zero in on that. What are the strengths of the nation? And how can you work to exploit these strengths? When I think about the Ho-Chunk Nation, I think about, um, you know, how we're set up. So we're, we're everywhere. We're across Wisconsin. We don't have one reservation. And we all know, most of us know this. Um, so we're spread out in so many different directions. And I think that the strength here could be, well, it could be a disadvantage because we're not all together in one area, but it also could be an advantage. And I think the advantage is part strength because we are in so many places. We have so many resources on all the different like areas where we come from that we can pick from, not just our own resources of people and our own knowledge and our own education and our own life experience and, and our own cultural um, knowledge, but outside entities like local governments, state government, the state government across Wisconsin, you know, and outside of the state, we have so many resources that we can pick from and collaborate from. I really feel like that that's going to be, you know, a strength. People have already forged um, relationships with these governments. How do we support that? How do we um, educate ourselves and support that so that those um, relationships can then become you know, strength and work towards strengthening our core, you know. So we need to be able to to really understand, you know, what are people good at? Where are these really awesome relationships and how can we learn from them to continue on? Do you see yourself as a leader first and then an administrator or an administrator first and then a leader? It seems like the 
president's position is uh, administration, but you also have to be the uh, face of the nation. Um, how do you see yourself? I think the situation, any situation, will help to determine which will come first. If I have to be someplace where I'm speaking for the people, um, collecting ideas, and then what am I going to say? You know, I don't always just want to get up there and say, hey, this is my view on it as, you know, this as an elected official. This is my view without, you know, as many times as I can consult with the people to say, how should we, you know, how should we move forward? It has to be about we the people that's what it says in the constitution we the people so how do we you know how do we collect that and move forward in in a certain situation to be that leader and then there are certain situations that the administration part of what needs to be done the administrator where we're going to need to say hey you know part of your responsibility as the president of the nation is to um put people in these positions you know, to oversee the hiring process. That's what it says in the job description anyways, um, of what's happening out there with our with our workforce. Um, and so I think that each situation will help determine, am I the leader or am I the administrator in, you know, whatever is set before me? That's good. That's very good. Um, you mentioned communication. Now, a major problem we have with our four branches of government is they're all pursuing different agendas. And as president, how do you plan to deal with this lack of communication uh, between the branches and get everybody on the same page? Because we seem to be um, in that spot right now where nobody's talking to each other. Legislature isn't talking to the general counsel. General counsel doesn't have a relationship with the president. Um, No one's even talking about the judiciary. So how do you um, initiate this communication between all the branches and get everybody on the same page? I'm going to go back to the question that you had asked about priorities. And I'm going to kind of like reiterate what I said again. And so the building part of um, relationships, of teams, um, of understanding where we're at, uh, I think that's going to be quite a challenge for us to do that because you're right. You know, everybody has their own idea of how they want to get um, something done for the betterment of the people. Um, and so I think that, you know, really understanding um, one another and where we stand, you know, what are what are our baselines in these relationships? What are our baselines in in the situations that we have going on right now? You know, where do we start? Where does everybody stand? That's going to be a difficult thing because people may not want to give up the work that they have already done. They may not want to say, okay, here, here's all my things that I've been working on. Let's just put it all out on the table. Um, and then, you know, some people are not willing to do that. And so I really feel like we need to like open, open up our hearts, open up our minds, you know, to one another, because it does seem like that, you know, is that in part um, to what COVID has done to us? You know, we've become so isolated. We've become these different creatures of, you know, of being here and how we do things. Has that, you know, helped us become what we are today? We don't know. We should, ex- we need to ex- sit down and explore these things. Well, how did I get to this point in my, you know, in my line, in this part of, you know, of what I was either elected to do or hired to do or appointed to do. How do we sit down and just put it all on the table and say, okay, let's figure this out. Let's go. Let's bring out the constitution. Let's, um, let's, let's get all the tools that are, that are here in the nation for us and figure out 
how we can use these and how we can better understand one another. And so again, the building of relationships and the building of teams is going to be very important and crucial to how we move forward with one another and, and get back to respecting one another. You know, that's really important. That's interesting. Very, very interesting. One of the things that um, President White Eagle has uh, initiated over the past, I don't know, eight months, 12 months, is listening sessions. Now, we all know what, well, we hope we know what uh, presidential candidates want to uh, accomplish. But have you thought about going out and just listening to nation, listening to people and see what the, they have to say? Yes. And since I decided to um, to do this, I've, I've done that in a, number, in a number of areas. And wow. I mean, it's just, it's, it's encouraging to me to, to hear the passion in people's voices about what matters to them in each of their areas. And I'm, I'm keeping like this, you know, this notebook. I have notes everywhere. I have it in my phone. I have it in my notebook. And I'm just, I was just going back over those things again today and, and listening and, and um, kind of like playing back the conversation or the statements that, that have been said. And, you know, one of the things that, that sticks out most to me is, you know, when we look at the, the population of the Ho-Chunk Nation, you know, the latest enrollment, enrollment map, D4 has 2,372 people. You know, and I'm like, wow, you know, I'm right now I'm sitting in, in D4 right now. And how how do I, you know, listen to the concerns and then be able to put that into some type of a plan for people in D4? You know, we're everywhere. We're all over the place. Again, the advantage and the disadvantage of, of how can we bring that together? And I think that will be one of the biggest challenges um, for me um, to be able to how can we how can we do this you know and i guess so so what i'm saying in short is that i don't have a real solid answer for you on that but these are things that i'm considering because i've heard that you know someone even said hey we're down here and we don't see we don't see you just when it's time for election we we don't see you and, and when you get elected then we really don't see you you know i don't want to be that person for one of the previous jobs that I held for the Ho Chunk Nation, I was the youth services uh, division director. And one of the things that I that I did quite frequently was travel to the areas. You know, I was over in Green Bay, I was over here in St. Paul, um, I went down into Milwaukee and Madison. Um, and so being able to see um, the, the areas in that light and serving the youth, you know, the, I think that will help me a great deal to be able to to say, hey, I'm two hours from you. I'll drive there. I'll be there in two hours. Are you are you busy, or can I just kind of like swoop in and take take this conversation? And being able to not only listen to the area members about their concerns, but to sometimes give them that, and most often, if possible, to give them that face to face because that face to face really it, it really matters. You know, sitting there and listening to somebody and seeing the expressions on their face or hearing the tones in their voices, you know, is going to say, oh, my gosh, okay, we really need to do something about this because it's crucial. And so that is how I would come at that, you know, at that being able to listen to the people. One of the goals of uh, President White Eagle's, I mean, um, administration is to uh, rein in the legislative overreach per the Constitution. 
Is this something you see as a problem or is this something um, that you'll con uh, pursue? Or how do you uh, look to handle this uh, constitutional battle that's going on? Hmm. Well, I think there there are good points on both sides. Both sides, although I've not educated myself really in depth to be able to have, um, you know, a say either way. I get along. I get along with people that are on the legislature, and I get along, you know, with with people who are in you know in the programs and and running these programs and things. And I think that you know that's that was something for him to, you know, read. And then say, hey, this is not just right. What do we need to do? And so I think his approach is probably going to, you know, probably going to be different than mine. And again, we're talking about various leadership styles. And we're talking about um, how people interpret. So you can read, so we can read the, we can read the exact same paragraph, but we both may have different outlooks or different takes on that paragraph. You know, a small word such as or. Or and you know could make all the difference and I and I think that he's approaching it how how he feels he needs to and so where would I pick up I'm not sure that that would be something that I could do again being educated about the matter reading it more in depth and and talking and listening to people about the situation you know that that's involved here you know that needs to be a big part of how I would determine how to move forward with it you know, I don't want to erase everything of the past and say, okay, let's start over. Let's let's start over my way or that. No, it can't be. It can't be that way. We have to consider the work that has been done, you know, before we got there. Or what did they leave for me to check out, to read? And a lot of times coming into a different um, position for the nation and a different program, that isn't always the case. There's not always that trail that's left there for the next person to come in and say, okay, oh, I have a really good understanding now of this because they left this here for me. And so it's really going to have to be determined upon what, what I find and what I learn as to how I would move forward with it. That's very good. While we're on this um, subject line, how would you best explain the phrase transparency in government and how does it relate to the Ho-Chunk Nation? Hmm. Whenever I think of that word transparency, it takes me back to my school days where you know we used to have those little uh, machines where you put that clear paper on there and you could see through <laughs> it and you put it on there, it shows on the screen, then everybody can see it, you know, but I think that uh, we need to consider what already exists in um, acts and ordinances and laws. How much can we share? How much is uh, for public consumption and how much needs to be kept just a little bit closed you know, are covered for, because do we want to give all our insider trading secrets away? Do, do we want, you know, someone else to know that this was how we made our, you know, $10 million? Um, so I think we need to kind of proceed and we need to really look at what can be shared and what cannot be shared, you know, with the general public. I think tribal members should know what's happening in programs. And so I was just looking over all uh, last night, I was looking over the report the annual report that's given out at general council and there's some there's some good stuff in there but it's a snippet of it 
right? So if we really want to know more about what's going on, you know, call, call up one of the executive directors or somebody and say, hey, what's going on with this? I read this in, in the general, you know, in the annual report. Can you shed some light on it? And I think transparency could also, you know, could also go in the form of communicating uh, what exists with people because there are programs. I come across uh, tribal members that, that I will explain a program or, Hey, did you know? And they're like, what? I didn't know that. And so how are we getting that out there and communicating that and, and being transparent about our programs and, you know, how much money goes into it and how, what is, what is the return back to the people? You know, I think it would be really nice to to know um, what certain programs are are about, or really how much money are are we making, and can can I actually read a financial report to know that they're giving me this information? But maybe at the level that I'm at, I may not be able to understand what's being written in this report. And so the transparency too of also having you know the ability to communicate in various various ways with people, you know, at all levels. Very good. Um, let me shift over to, um, do you have a position on the separation of government and business, or is this something you don't see particularly as a problem as of right now? Oh, let's see. I would like to, I would like to um, understand it more. I hear a lot of people talking about it. You know, I've definitely heard um, your podcast and heard a number of um, episodes where you do talk about it. And so, again, going back to the um, educating oneself on what that means, you know. And so I think that there there can be, I think, uh, again, with the relationships that we can build and the understanding and being able to communicate with one another, what would that be? Because ultimately, you know, there's certain powers that are given to uh, the different branches of government where maybe they're the ones who are helping, you know, with the laws. And so we'd have to know if we're going to be building a business on this particular piece of land, we need to know what the laws are there and how they kind of like coincide with the nation's laws. And are do we need to change our law to be able to get onto that piece of land? And so I think that for certain things to be able to separate the government from business, yes. But I think there are also things where we need to um, keep lines uh, of understanding and communication and that work and collaborating with one another to, to give the best support to the development of new businesses, you know, for the Ho-Chunk Nation. So I think there's there there could be that separation, but there could also be where we still need to have these connections with one another and be able to work with one another for the betterment. Well, those connections, one of the things that jumps to mind is 12 clans. Now, there's been talk that the nation should dissolve the organization. Or my thought is that the uh, Ho-Chunk Nation should exploit 12 clans to its full potential. Stepping as a president... Um, do you have a position yet on this issue or are you still kind of going through um, researching it? I would really like to know more about it. Um, if we're, if we're giving somebody money to invest in it, what, what are we getting in return? You know, at the very least we should get information on progress. I think that's really important. You know, how am I going to support something that I know nothing about or that no one's communicating with me about? Um, how am I going to support that? How am I going to support you? 
you know um and so i think that that we really need to be um letting some of that information out for the people to make that determination as to do we want to support it or do we want to just get rid of it costing us more than we're getting back you know all of these questions you know we need we need to think about that but i would really like to know more about it and could we and how could we you know push it to its max and 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 get that full potential and that full that really awesome return you know to be able to build programs to be able to put into per capita to be able to um, create more scholarship programs for the education of not only our young people but of our more experienced people too how can we get them to get some of that um, lived experience and turn that into college credits if they so choose and so I think that it would be really important for us to know more about it and to be able to open up those lines of communication with a tribal membership so that do I support you in what you're doing or do I just eh, eh, not do away with it? You know, so that needs to be a really important piece is the education of 12 clients to the people and the progress. Continuing on his business theme, um, this big thing that's staring us all in the face, Beloit Casino. Uh, since we got uh, we initiated it way back, we've had uh, two casinos, temporary casinos, jump up, uh, Rockford and Waukegan. We've also had the um, Pokagans get recognized and start off on their business tear. Now, are you in favor of pursuing this uh, Beloit Casino? Because we, there's been a lot of foot dragging. And I just want to know, should we per- be pursuing this or should we just... Um, put it away and change our um, focus onto something else. That's a tough one. Um, for me, it's a tough one. Okay, because I'm. I think about. Um, I think about my family. I think about my children, and I think about my grandchildren. And you know, we we are setting aside certain things for some of them that have you know that are able to have these things set aside for them you know um but what what does it mean you know already we have a struggling workforce within the nation i see a lot of job um postings for a lot of jobs that are it seems like they're unable to be filled uh we have a we have a lot of that and so again um how do we how do we manage what we currently have before we can go out there and build something else and then add more on to not only the financial responsibility of what, what this is going to cost, but the workforce. What, what are we doing to, to improve what we currently have, you know, to be able to say, hey, we're, we're the employer you want to work for <laughs> by creating the, the higher wages or, you know, the benefits packages or what's attracting people to us so that we can get rid of this job posting list that's meant multiple pages, you know, and I think we really need to consider that. Can we, can we help this first before we start building something else? And so that's my thought. That's been my thought. You know, well, geez, we, we, we need to upgrade here first before we go down there and build something brand new. You know, some of, of, of the casinos and um, parking lots of some of these places, you know, they, they need to be upgraded. But here we are going someplace else. And I think, of, I think about an old teaching that 
that my grandfather, George Whitewing, he used to say, my choka, he used to say, you have to take care of this first. And he kind of like had his hands and he was like going around the outside of his body, not touching his body. You have to take care of this first before you can go out there and try to take care of something else. And, and the revenues and the prosperity that could potentially, that are potentially there for Beloit, that's really great. But have we taken care of what's here first? And so that's, you know, just kind of like incorporating some of those teachings uh, from my choka, you know, have we taken care of what's right here? You know, meaning ourselves, meaning our families, meaning our current businesses. Have we done that? Excellent. Excellent thought. Um, Let me change uh, course here. Um, According to a definition, the Ho-Chunk language, our language is moribund. Um, That means it's uh, close to death. Uh, we have an excellent language department and motivated instructors. And I don't know if anybody's up and watching, but they use all types of different mediums in an attempt to uh, develop fluent speakers. We also have, you know, um, school programs for children. Um, as president, what can you do to help increase the fluency of our language so it's not moribund? This is really scary, you know, for me. Um, to to know that it, it is that, you know, close to death, almost extinct, you know, a terminal decline. These, these are really scary for me to think about. And um, so what can I do as an individual, first of all? Because if, if I'm not willing to do the work, but then I'm asking somebody else to do the work, what kind of leader does that make me? What kind of person does that make me look like? And so throughout the time that um, I, I've seen the technology and the apps that have come on, even the dictionary that has come on. And these are very, very helpful to not only me, but to my children. Um, And they help my grandchildren with it. Um, But I think about immersion too. One of the things that I, that I thought was, was um, beneficial and how could we spread that across the nation was the immersion school in in the Wisconsin Dells Baraboo area with their zero to five. I had actually listened to a presentation on the school and I was like, wow, we need this one of these up in Wittenberg, you know, because not only are they teaching our, our small infants and children to the age of five, but they're also supporting them. They're supporting them that their parents also have to be a part of it. Their parents have to learn it too. Their parents have to be right there with them because how do we do this? You know, in the school systems, we're teaching our children. They're teaching our children and then they're sending them home. But if the parents aren't there to support them or the grandparents or whoever may be there at home, whatever type of, of home they live in, then how do we expect them to excel without that support? And so being able to, again, educate myself first about what currently exists with a language department, see what's been um, successful, and then be able to put my support behind efforts that currently exist as to not start over, you know, to not go from wherever we were to, to right now. We really need to figure out how we can use more of the people who need more of the language. And is it putting, you know, is it putting more money into the language department? You know, again, what is the return? And so I feel like this is something that, yes, also needs to be a priority before it doesn't exist anymore. You know, and so I think that being able to um, get community involved, you know, have, do we know all the people, and it's probably not a lot, but do we know all the people in in the areas that we could 
you know, put them to work, put them back to work or raise their wage because they're working a different job, maybe in the casino, but they know the language. So we give them more money and they start giving, you know, language classes within the casino or within the community, depending on the situation. And so we just need to put, put more effort and give more support to the things that we're doing to learn the language. Excellent. Just uh, kind of almost before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you, um, if you were doing this interview, what question would you have asked that I missed? Oh, hmm. Wow, that's probably the toughest question. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Um, I, I mean, there's so, there are a lot of matters within the nation. Uh, that that currently exists and I know a lot of people I hear a lot of people are unhappy with with what happens but I think about you know I think about the pandemic and I think it would be a question around the pandemic Um, when I was working as the CHR supervisor for the health department um, I was fresh on the job and it was in September and then in January was when COVID really hit you know what would be a COVID continued response now there there are funds out there for different types of positions for different types of work that can be done um how would we create a plan you know to strengthen that and then strengthen our response you know what programs have been like deleted or leaned down because of it and really kind of like think about covid and what it's done um I, I I lost my train of thought, but I know where I'm going with this. Um, to be able to foresee a pandemic hitting our people and doing the damage that it did, not only um, in losses of life, of knowledge, of language, those things went away with the, with the people that 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 walked on, you know, due in part to COVID. Um, and then the loss of, you know, business and money to be able to do some of the things that we were doing. And so I think that COVID, <clears throat> as damaging as it is, that it's also shown us that we can be, we can adapt, we can think differently as to how we're going to um, serve our people. You know, could we lean things down to what's really important, what's crucial? This is what we're going to put money towards. And what what do we need to do to, to fasten our game with our language, with our culture? Because it seems like time is going faster and faster and faster. You know, and what are we going to leave for our children and our grandchildren? And so I think it, um, the question would have been about, you know, COVID response. How... How has, how can we address what, you know, what we currently live in? Excellent. Well, to wrap this up, I want to ask you, I want to give you the opportunity, really. Um, floor is yours. Anything you want to promote, anything you want to sell, um, anything you want help on, to, uh, take your time and uh, speak your piece. Sure. Thank you. What I want to talk about is, um, you know, entrepreneurship of our people. And how do we, how do we, how do we first know that it exists? How do they know they're even entrepreneurs? They're just creating things. And so when I first started uh, the decision um, to do this, to, to run for um, 
the office of the president. I was thinking about who my team, who I could get on my team, who's who's fast, who who knows how to do, um, create, who knows how, you know, all of these things. And so I got a group of young women, um, probably between the age of 25 and 30, maybe up to 33. And I asked them for help. And this is really awesome how, how people's um, minds work in creativity, you know, to be able to create things for, for themselves or for their own little businesses or bigger businesses. Um, and so I think about these young women. Uh, I had Heritage 13 uh, business owner, Marianne Wildcat, and she's from the Lactus Lambo tribe. And she, she did a lot of my graphic work for me. And then I had um, kind of like a PR person uh, who's my daughter. She is also um, into um, sewing and they make star quilts and they make ribbon skirts. And I think that this is very, very important for, for our people and the teachings that go along with them. They may not come from our people, but we should be willing to share, you know, and open up to one another about who we are. And also I have a, a young lady by the name of Aisa Roberts. Um, and she, I asked her, I said, I have this thought in my head about what I'm trying to do. And <clears throat> one of the stories that I heard about the Bear Clan was coming from, you know, the, the thorns and the thicket and, and the ground, you know? And so I was thinking about this and I said, could you make me an exclusive design? I said, just something for me, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll pay you for it. And so she created a design for me that you'll see on my Facebook page. And it was um, Marianne put the graphics to it. So she couldn't get the whole design on there. But, you know, the thorns are, are the issues that, that, we, that we have that currently exist or that, that may have come from way back when. Um, and so these thorns that sometimes get stuck in there and kind of give us a problem. How do we, how do we get that out? And then how do we move forward with the ideas and, and the new concepts that we have? Or, or maybe bringing back an, an older concept, an, a concept that, that worked really well back then. Let's try it again. You know, sometimes making it a little less complicated. And so using these young women, you know, um, Aisa Roberts, Brandon Walker, Marianne Wildcat, to be able to get myself off the ground, you know, by these, by having them and their skills and their talents. And so I really think we need to focus on uh, um, what are going to be our business models for these young people to continue to create the things that they do for the betterment of their families, for the betterment of even their own well-being. That, because that can really kind of like pump you up and, hey, I can, I can do this. I'm out here. I have my name on a card. I'm creating something. People are coming to me. I'm getting, and so we really need to focus on, on our young people being, and maybe our more experienced people to be able to create these things. Cause who knows what that can mean for the nation, you know? So I, I think that's really important. So that's what I'd like to say, you know, young people continue on, use the minds that were given to you, use your talents, use your skills. And because you're the people who are going to be in the future, you know, continuing on these things that we're doing right now. So thank you. No, thank you. Thank you much for your time and um, good luck in your race. And thanks for joining us today. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. Tonight, I am with candidate Lance Decker running for District 3, Seat 3 as a write-in candidate. Good evening, sir. How are you doing? Good, Shelby. How are you? Excellent, excellent. Um, 
I guess we just uh, jump right into this. Um, can you give us a brief background on your family, your education, and uh, some work history? Sure. I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Lance Decker. Um, my Jaji is Ron Anwash. Um, and my mother or stepmother to the Mahade is uh, Mary Blackbeer Anwash. Uh, my Choka and Gaga is Donald Anwash and Olinda Littlejohn. And um, her parents are Grant and Rachel Littlejohn. Uh, I have a family, my wife, uh, Jennifer, and my three kids, Megan, Gavin, and Braylon. Uh, can you give us a little um, work history, um, education? Where did you go to school? I was born in La Crosse and was adopted at birth, and I grew up in a little town called Milton, Wisconsin, uh, just outside of Janesville. Oh, wow. Graduated there, went to school for two years up in Rice Lake as uh, wood technics and then um, proceeded to start working <laughs> <laughs> so let's get down to it why are you running for district three uh seat three as a write-in candidate um, well i i missed the deadline for putting my name in and it was one of the things where i was really on the fence um i really wanted to make sure that what i do is helping people, helping the tribe. And I was on the fence, on the fence, on the fence, and then the list came out, and it's like, oh, my goodness. Uh, I think I could really do some good for the tribe. And talking over with relatives, um, going through it, and then it was just, a, all right, let, let's do this. Um, just making making a leap of faith and and putting my my faith in myself and say let, let let's do this let's try to turn the ship around and and let's get something positive out of this whole thing um let me ask you what do uh now that you're running what do people say or what do you say to people who ask who are you and where have you been all this time Well, I, I've, I've always known that I was Ho-Chunk, um, and it wasn't until this past April that I finally became an enrolled member. Um, I've always been a person uh, looking from the outside in, keeping up on what tribal government is and, and what actions are being done and hopefully someday being a part of it. And now I have the opportunity, and I, I just I want to be a part of it. Um, it's currently I am a uh, delegate in our local union. I'm in the Carpenters Local at 314 here in Madison, and i am also been a past officer, a recording secretary, and vice president. So I, I know about a little bit about government and how things are supposed to work and been active in our political um, campaigning here in Madison and, and trying to support candidates. And I think that as a, a writing candidate, I can uh, really 
try to help our tribe uh, better ourselves, make it a, a better uh, situation for everybody. Well, what are some of the issues of District 3, um, as you look at it, that you feel need to be addressed? So recently, um, I've noticed that there's been issues out there that people aren't um, receiving the care that they need, whether they be elite elders, elders, uh, families. They're not receiving the care. And I think that we're having a bigger problem than, than, than we realize. We need to... We've got a number of things that are going on that, uh, to me, looks like it's it's. We need to start uh, figuring out how to take care of our people by our employee shortage that we're that we're suffering right now. Um, there needs to be something that needs to be taken care of that. We have employable people that are willing to do the job. Our, our employees right now are, a number of them are, are overworked, short-staffed. Um, I looked at tonight, I looked at the uh, Ho-Chunk employee page. We've got over 150 jobs out there that haven't been filled. My question is, where's where's all the money that went that they're supposed to be paying these people and why aren't we paying our help right now a decent wage? Looking at the wages of some of the people that are working, I'm just going to throw it out there. Let's just say a person that's working as maybe a, a, a maintenance person getting paid 15 bucks an hour. If you look at it, they're getting paid 15 bucks an hour. That's let's just say it's 30,000 a year. Take a third of that away for taxes. You're down to twenty thousand. They go out and they purchase or uh, purchase a, a, a house or they rent thousand dollars a month. Take twelve thousand dollars away from that two thousand. You're down to eight thousand dollars. Put a car payment in there, five hundred dollars a month. There's six thousand a year that you're kissing away. You're down to two thousand dollars. Now you gotta figure out your utilities, your phone bill, insurance. I I don't know how people can live off that. At least here in the Madison area, and I'm sure uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Dells, all, all the way through it's the, the 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 money isn't there to pay our employees a decent livable wage. And I think we really need to start taking care of our employees and then everything else should, I would hope, would fall into place and try to move things forward. Um, we wouldn't have these voids in care because of employees that uh, are going on to a better job or uh, decided not to go in because you know, it's only a couple bucks. I, that's all I'm out. Meanwhile, that person that needed the care or needed the assistance is left high and dry. And that's not what we're, we're here for. We're here to take care of each other. Well, I was going to ask you about your pet issues, but it sounds like um, that is a driving issue for you is uh, maintaining uh, employment for the whole chunk nation. 
Um, what are what is something else that uh, kind of drives you um, that you see within a nation that needs to be addressed? Well, it's um, I, I think we need to get our government out of our businesses and and get the people that know how to run business run business. I mean, we don't ask our next door neighbor to do brain surgery on us. So why? Why should we have people that don't know how to operate a casino run a casino? Um, I, I think we need to separate that. We need to start going back to governing as a legislator, executive, taking care of our people, and having our investment companies take care of our businesses. We've got other tribes throughout the state that aren't their government isn't running their businesses. They're having a business entity take care of it for them. So I think it, that's one thing we need to do for ourselves. The um, Ho-Chunk Nation has a major communication problem between all four branches of our governments. Um, as a legislator, what would you bring to the table to try to alleviate this uh, communication problem? I think we need to <clears throat> try to get the general counsel back on its feet again and put back to where it's supposed to be uh, through the Constitution. We need to um, have better repertoire between the ex legislative and executive branches. Uh, there's a lot of, seems like there's a lot of animosity. Maybe that's just me looking in from the meetings that I've been to, but it's, I think we need to, we all just need to get along. Um, <laughs> well, that's uh, easier said than done. So let me ask you, how do we get it done? I, well, myself, I feel like I'm pretty open, uh, easy to talk to. I think, uh, I think we also need to remember, uh, kind of like stay in your lane bro uh we need to know what our our guidelines are and follow those i know that uh some of the meetings that i've been to it's always been well i can't say that because that's overreach or uh somebody would say this and no can't do that that's that's executive overreach and, and before we start pointing fingers maybe we need to start talking over and say hey look is this something that we can work on? I, I don't understand what, what everybody's concerned about overreach and how, how it can be such a, a difficult task not to talk. I mean, talking to some of my relatives, they have no problem talking and expressing their opinions, but I, I figured that was a Ho-Chunk trait because I don't have a hard time speaking my turn, <laughs> my opinions either, but uh, it's, it's something that uh, I'm willing to do. I'm willing to talk to whoever's in that executive office or executive directors and, and try to to work across the aisle and, and move. I mean, why? What what's the big argument? Why are we we want the best for our our, our members? Right. That's that's the whole thing is that we want to be better than 
than everybody else. That's what we want to try to do is, is do our best to help our members out. One of the things that, um, as a legislator, you're going to have is um, we have a huge backlog of resolutions from the general counsel that need to be addressed. Um, for some reason or another, our legislature um, refuses or cannot uh, address these issues, resolutions. Um, as a new legislator, how do you plan to address these um, backlog on the general counsel? Um, well, one thing I've noticed with the legislative meeting minutes is that uh, you can pretty much put anything on there. I would, if elected, I would propose putting on one or two resolutions per legislative meeting and try to get them resolved. And um, there wouldn't be any tabling unless additional information needs to be required from uh, another source to give that information. But as far as I'm concerned, I, how hard is it to go over these resolutions to get an answer? I don't, unless I'm missing something that I'm not seeing, but why, why hide on these uh, resolutions and, and let them sit? It, it's been brought up through general counsel. General counsel is one of the branches that we need to highly respect and it needs to be brought forth. It just, can't be read and tabled it needs to be addressed you kind of touched briefly on the um, separation between uh, business and government um you're an advocate of this separation um how hard do you think will it be to convince people that this is something that is necessary for the tribe to uh, thrive well i think that with uh tribal membership knowing that it's an option, I would hope that they would contact their uh, legislative rep and, and express their concerns and, and how they want to move forward with something like this. We work for the people if elected. We work for the people. I know some of our ideas are brought forth, but ultimately we represent the people. And if the people speak to the legislative members and say, hey, look, this is what I believe that we should move forward with, that should be, that should be brought to the table. And I, I think we should be able to uh, come together and, and say, you know, hey, look, we're, we're, we're not making this work. Um, we're barely staying afloat. And I think we really need to... Uh, to look for an alternative method to try to solve these problems and i think we should probably give 12 clans a shot okay um <laughs> i'm gonna leave that there for a second well i want to circle back to that thought um you've mentioned communication several times now um i want to ask you right up front have you been to a um, area meeting yes i have um what is the communication there between the people who attend the meetings, who um, Skype the meetings or whatever, and the legislative members? Is there a communication gap there? Could that be uh, better? Um, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of uh, conversating going on. There's just uh, 
either yelling or people are talking one way and they're not listening. If you're elected, how do you plan to uh, handle this? Well, with <clears throat> excuse me, with some with the meetings that we do have that, that I currently participate in with our unions, it's basically Robert's rule of order, but moving forward in an area meeting um it's more from what i've attended it's more personal it's more one-on-one um and people are passionate on what they're trying to talk about and they need to get their ideas out there and i (laughs) this pandemic oh my uh, with these skype or webex or whatever communications we use and people talking and then waiting for a response and then over talking or talking over somebody. I I think we need to uh, hear what the constituents have to say, no matter how long it takes. um, There needs to be some order to it, but it's something that uh, as an elected member, you got to listen to it uh, regardless if you agree with them or not, nothing should be, you know, basically, uh, well, we'll table it for now. We'll talk about it later. No, that that that's not that's not what members want to hear. They want to hear that you know you're going to try to do something for it. All right, that's that's good. Um, let me get off onto this subject, Beloit. Um, it's staring us all right in the face. Uh, it's not going anywhere apparently. Um, we all have opinions on this, yay or nay. Uh, what's your opinion on Beloit? Should we pursue it? Should we um, put it to bed finally? Um, where do we go with this? Well, uh, up until probably a couple months ago, I would have been all for it. Um, but right now, I think that ship sailed. Uh, that I think we're we're basically probably going to be throwing money into a hole in in Beloit just for the plain fact that it's such a saturated area down there. Uh, You got the new casino going in Rockford and then right on down the line all the way into Chicago. My personal feelings and and talking with relatives too, let's fix what we got here. Let's fix our own house before we go ahead and start shopping for another one. We've got the casinos we have right now that could use a refurbish, a refresh, um, additions. Wisconsin Dells being being one of them. I mean, I, I found out that the Dells was supposed to be kind of like a, a Kalahari or, or a Black Wolf or something similar to that. There was supposed to be a water park. There was supposed to be a 27-hole golf course that was designed by Andy North. Um, there was a number of things that were supposed to go on there in the Dells. It never happened. And I think we got stuck behind the eight ball on that, and it was a missed opportunity. So with concerns with Beloit, I think... Um, I think I'm going to have to pass on that one and and say that, you know, it it was an opportunity at the time when it was available. But right now, uh, to look at getting the authorization to go ahead and say, you know what, let's build it. We need the drawings. 
I haven't heard anything about any drawings that are available or an architect, a uh, building manager, a uh, contractor, uh, anything other than it's supposed to start this year and supposed to end sometime in 2024. Well, that's, I, me being in the construction trade, I, I don't see that happening. This is something that needs, you know, I think we're, we're looking at at least two years out before we're even seeing a, a first customer in a casino down in Beloit. But while we're on that subject, um, what about uh, Southland, um, Linwood? Um, the Ho-Chunk Nation uh, legislature and the um, Southland Corporation tried to uh, pursue a casino license down there. Um, didn't work out well. Um, do you have any thoughts on what you'd like to see happen in Linwood? Well, uh <sighs> I have inside information on that property and it, it's something that we should have dumped right after we got, uh, we didn't get the, uh, gaming license. It should have been dumped right away while the market was hot. Um, it's for those that haven't been there, it's a, a basically an old, old landfill, uh, with overhead power lines. I think we need to cut our losses and, and, and just eliminate it. I'm sure we're still paying something down there um, for whatever utilities or or taxes that we're paying. But it's yeah, we need to we need to cut our losses and just get out of Linwood. You mentioned a little while ago twelve clans. What should the nation do about twelve clans? Should we um, keep going with it? Should we just cut our losses and dissolve the corporation? Should we try to um, make uh, 12 clans live up to its expectations? Um, what are your expectations of 12 clans, and what do you think we should do with it? Well, I went to the board meeting, the annual board meeting with, with 12 clans uh, in December. And one, we didn't, we didn't make quorum. So we really couldn't make any decisions um, on what to deal with 12 clans. But what, from what I've seen, excuse me, there were, I, th I think that not, no, undoubtedly they're on our side to help us out with whatever um, investment needs we have. It's something that we should use. For. We've got our own mem tribal members that are part of 12 clans that are on the board. I think they're they're right there with us to help us out, uh, to assist us, and being affiliated with them, why not use them? Well, I mean, instead of just having them pay for our the uh, the food that was given at the forum, I mean, I'm grateful for it. That's great, but I, I think we can utilize them a little more than just being a uh, a catering service. That's true at the moment. Um... All right, let me ask you something about um, transparency in government. When you hear that, um, what does that mean to you as an elected official? As just a person, I, I would want to know how exactly is my government operating. As a, as a legislator, I, I try to make sure that everybody understands what is on the docket, what isn't, and 
wanting to know what what's coming up or what's going to be passed, what's out there for 45-day review, what's out for a 30-day. Um, right now, the WODOC does a good uh, job of, of basically highlighting the legislative meeting minutes. But to understand the resolutions that are being proposed in their entirety, I don't know. I just get a hyphenated version of it and says, well, this is what's being discussed or this is what passed. What What is being passed? How, what, what legislation is being said here? And I think as members, we need to know what's been passed. I mean, we see all these resolutions being passed, but where are they? How do they affect me? How do they affect me as a tribal member? Does it affect my area? Does it affect my uh, community that I'm living in? How is it? Does it affect the whole tribe? Does it affect all four districts? I don't, we don't know. Uh, it's, I think we need to be more, more transparent, letting, letting our members know what's going on. I have a, personally, I have a huge uh, issue with the concept of executive session. I understand the needs for it during, you know, periods of negotiation with vendors and state and local governments, builders, that type of thing. And, you know, personnel matters, obviously. But personally, I feel that the entire executive uh, session thing is way overdone. As a legislator, how do you feel about pursuing a sunset clause on matters discussed in executive session? Um, I'm all for it. Um, I understand that, you know, some things need to be done in executive session. That's understandable with anything. But I don't think we're you know, trading launch codes with a foreign entity in, in, in any of these meetings. So I don't understand why the ultimate secrecy there is. I, um, in the sunset clause, I would have something in there that would be no more than, than a year uh, to basically set a deadline to say, making it more usable for our members to know. I mean, that's, that's part of being transparent is, is, Whatever's in executive session, if it was important back then, yes, I understand that, but uh, it, it can't be that um, held in executive session and then be still pertinent after a year. So I would, I would, I would definitely be a, uh, in favor of a of a sunset clause when it comes to executive session. One of the problems I have with legislators, no, I don't have a many, but I, I have one or two is that they seem to spend a lot of time um, acting as social worker for their constituents. Um, how do we create, how do you create an environment where people feel comfortable going directly to the appropriate department, executive directors, or whoever <clears throat> handles those situations so that the uh, legislatures can be legislators and the executive directors and um, people in those departments, they can handle the ho-chunk members uh, issues and problems how do we create that atmosphere well i think we're moving back to where we're talking about unhappy employees and and having uh, employee shortages we're not i don't totally say that it's a executive director's fault that you know things aren't getting done I know that there's a worker shortage and it's happening everywhere, but us as, as legislators, we, uh, the best we can do is 
as legislators, we understand the government. We know how with the, the different areas of it, you know, of a part of the executive branch. And this is also reaching across and, and try to um, work with them and help assist. I understand that, you know, sometimes it's, well, you know, I need this or I need that. That is a problem, but I think there should be a, a priority list that should be established in the within the executive uh, director's areas and and let it be known that if you're an elite elder or an elder, um, that you're kind of pushed to the top of the list and try to get your items taken care of. Um, but then again, you know, it, even small uh, families with small children and stuff uh, also need help too. But we also need to make sure that our veterans and, and elders are, are taken care of because um, they've already made the sacrifice for us. And, and then what the only thing we can do is just take care of them. All right, let me um, try to bring this to a head here, or wrap it up more likely. Let's, uh, if you were conducting this interview, um, what question would you ask that would help you out in explaining yourself to the people that I failed to ask? Um, one thing that wasn't asked is, uh, and, it, and it's coming about, is uh, cannabis. Um, it's, it's been mentioned and it pops up on some of the area meetings about, um, cannabis and then even the legislative meetings, it comes up as cannabis and then just kind of, well, nothing, the committee has nothing. So let's move on. It, it's coming. Um, I believe that it will sooner or later be passed through our state government and it will be legal here in the state of Wisconsin. We need to be ready. We can't be sitting here. Uh, all of a sudden it passes through the, the governor and, and it's signed into law that medical or recreational cannabis is legal in the state of Wisconsin. And then all of a sudden we're like, well, now what do we do? Well, we can legalize it. Well, let's start growing it and then start, you know, marketing it. it it's not it's something that we really need to to get in front of and we uh, you know illinois does it michigan does it um can we grow it on trust land can we not grow it on cross trust land where do we grow it how do we grow it can we grow it year-round are we looking to hydroponics uh but, you know there's there's a, a million questions out there but i think if we don't get involved in that that's another opportunity that we may be missing um as an income for a tribe uh, i know that kind of falls back with 12 clans but uh, if we can get the legwork on that and maybe get that out in the open it may be a smoother transition uh, once it becomes law all right, let's uh, bring this to a close. Um, the floor is yours. Whatever you have to promote, whatever you have to say, uh, whatever you have to sell, um, take as long as you want. It's up to you now. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, well, <clears throat> what I'd like to do is ask the members of District 3 for your support uh, on March 7th. Uh, write in Lance Decker for seat 3. Um, I'm going to try to uh, 
make it around up in that area, uh, Rapids, Wittenberg, Green Bay area. Uh, weather permitting, I know we got some garbage coming in here, but I would like to, you know, try to meet with as many people as I can. Um, it's it's something that uh, I'm hoping to help all of you know all of our tribal members. Uh, if you want to, you can look on Facebook. I've got a Facebook page, Lance Decker for Ho Chunk Nation District Three Seat Three Legislator. And um, about all I got. I hope everybody's staying safe and uh, staying warm. All right, that's Lance Decker running for District 3, C3 as a write-in candidate. Look for his stuff on Facebook, and don't forget, spell his name correctly. Thanks very much for your time, sir. Thank you. Pinigigi. Good evening, everybody. Um, I got uh, an issue, and I need a little help with, but um, recently, the uh, legislature passed initially uh spending limits and the vote was six four zero opposed seven abstentions um it kind of troubled me a little bit the amount of abstentions and i was talking to someone about this and they said well technically we could have one person vote in favor zero oppose and 12 abstentions and that resolution would pass um that troubled me greatly. Um, so I thought I'd invite somebody to come along and uh, do a little splaining for me. So um, I asked my brother, John Warner, to come along and um, guide me along this uh, path here. So uh, good evening, John. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Shelby? Uh, I'm confused and I'm troubled. And I need a little help here. So um, did you hear what I had to say about um, us passing a resolution by the legislature of one, four, zero opposed, and twelve abstention? Um, as ludicrous as that sound, is that is that possible? Absolutely, it's possible. Um, we don't have any uh, mechanisms currently in our constitution to kind of prevent that from happening. Um, under Article Five, uh, Legislature Section Two, you know, the only heavy requirement is. Uh, under section Y, and that's to overturn a presidential veto, which is a two-thirds supermajority vote, which requires all of the members to be present and to vote. Um, the Under section 3, under the Article 5, the codes, you know, it talks about, we've talked about this in the past, open meetings, elections, ethics, um, defining the conflicts of interest and, and those kind of things that we need to have on board. The other piece where voting is talked about is Section 12 under voting, and it specifically says the majority vote of the quorum shall be necessary to exercise the powers of the legislature, except as otherwise provided by this Constitution. In other words, in a, in a presidential veto overturn, that's where that two-thirds majority comes in. So what we're, we're talking about is abstention. So abstention um, is kind of uh, used differently in, in the outside world. So uh, let, let's talk about votes in general. How about that? Let's let's get a good base. All right, we'll, 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 let's start we'll there. Yeah, help me out. So uh, you know, there's a there's a voice vote and there's a roll call vote, and and we as the nation kind of use a quasi voice roll uh, roll call. Um, that's built into the U.S. Constitution as a roll call for the Senate. 
and uh, roll call vote is very specific in how it's, it's laid out. It's it's uh, it's either a yay or a nay, and it, constitutionally it says they will vote yay or they will vote nay, um, and then it's recorded by the the senators uh, their name and who they represent. So that right there is is what they call a roll call vote. How they do it in the Senate. Okay, hold what on. We do is. That, that, I think that was really highlighted recently by, um, what is it, Senator McCarthy? when he Or was it uh, Representative McCarthy? And he was voted as um, Speaker. Yep. And everybody so had to vote yay or nay on his uh, speakership. Correct. Correct. That's the roll call vote that they, that they go by list and by name, and then they got to go by senior. And there's a whole process of parliamentary process that 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 happens in the u.s senate or and the house itself that kind of you know they they follow this framework of how to vote so that's the roll call vote they also have things like uh called a voice vote where they go all those in favor say aye and then they say aye all those not in favor of this resolution say nay and then they say nay and they could do it by decibel or by the sound of overwhelmingly majority is is by by i or nay uh funny thing we do is you know um they have a whole kind of list of of, of things that they call about the, so they'll say those in favor there's a formality associated with it. so those all in favor say i all those not in favor of this resolution say nay but what we as ho-chunk nation have become doing is i uh in favor uh favor uh favor you know they're not saying aye or nay so are they technically saying they're in favor or not in favor yeah i guess if you looked at robert's rules maybe not but since we don't have any rules or parliamentary procedures you know can can kind of be thrown up into the air so that's that's kind of the difference between uh voice vote roll call vote we try to get a uh a roll call vote Though it's not as defined and specific as like the U.S. House or the or Senate, so we do record their votes. But what's becoming more scary is that abstentions. So abstentions have always been used for, um, uh, for for very particular reasons. So yes, I or yay means they're in favor of something. Nay, no means they're against something but the abstention is out there and it's there's a whole bunch of scholarly papers on this of the ethics and morality of voting and the reason that they have an abstention is is to allow for a person that's in question to be disqualified in other words a person can disqualify themselves from voting because they have a conflict of interest or there's a very particular issue that, that they're dealing with that they should not be making a decision on their family members involved or it's, it's really based on conflict of interest right and or if they abstain they could actually write to the attorney or the office of public affairs and then that those attorneys will say yes you should disqualify disqualify yourself from discussing any of this particular item so if it's about a land acquisition um, and you're a, a legislator that owns that tribe, that land, you should probably disqualify yourself. You should absolutely abstain from it and, and, and 
prevent yourself from being in a conflict of interest. You know, there's a whole bunch of other reasons that can be used in it, but those kind of, they talk about the morality of how that happens. Um, you know, you, you want to be able to, to vote on every decision, you know, um, by, by you being a, a representative of the people, your job is to vote. And that's very clear in, in anywhere. If, if you're there to be make decisions, you should make a decision. You know, the, the, there's, a, there's a few times that you shouldn't, you know, the conflict of interest. Um, they have some excuses for you if, if they want to do it, like you don't want to divulge your, your thinking on an item, which is kind of sad because that's unethical because you've been voted to, or it's not unethical, it could be considered immoral or morality of vote um you disagree with one of the one of the members and you don't want to air your dis your non-consensus you know that happens sometimes amongst party votes like the uh uh republicans versus the democrats you know that sometimes that happens for abstention there um you know they fail to do research some people don't do their job um and they don't really know what's going on and, and so they decide to abstain. And, you know, those are, some of those things are kind of reasonable and righteous. But when you're abstaining, there's also some rules that they want you to, to not do. So to abstain, you shouldn't be discussing the issue at all. So if you decide that you're going to abstain from a vote, you shouldn't be talking about the issue at all because that then that gives you an immoral uh, stance or ground that, hey, look, I heard the argument, I'm just going to become a chicken and not vote and let my peers do the hard, hard heavy lifting for you. Let me, so, let, let me jump in here real quick. Um, one thing I, I wanted, I need a definition from you. Um, we're talking about abstentions. Um, what about recusals? Is there a difference between abstention and recusal? And can you ethically recuse yourself from something? And is there a difference between recusing yourself and abstaining from something? So, yeah, the recusal is the official withdrawal or disqualification. So when I said disqualify, it's the same thing as recusing ah, yourself from okay. action. So to, there, there's a couple different ways that you can look at it from a municipality standpoint. We don't have that process built yet for our, our government, which would probably be good something good for the new elected officials, the new legislators coming up to build out their their legislative organization act or help to enhance the ethics code or you know the open meetings act. A lot of these things should be openly discussed, and we, the people at general council, should really be the ones voting on. Hey, this is how we want you to act, and this is how we want you to vote. So. When you re when you're recused from something, what you're trying to do is exit yourself completely out of the situation. In other words, you would actually, if you're disqualified, let's say you're disqualified in a, a municipal issue, the, there are some boards and committees that will ask you to actually leave the room while the issue is being discussed. Well, that sounds right. So that so that's a that's a disqualification and a recusal therefore you hear nothing you know nothing and you're not involved in that process but the abstention is you stay in the room but you just don't vote on it and there's some rules that they want you to follow with if you're going to abstain 
don't talk about it. Don't question it and don't discuss it because obviously you haven't taken the time to understand what's going on or you're afraid of one of your peers to make them upset that you don't want to go against, you know, and, and that's what it seems like it's happening. And there's a couple of things that, um, it says, you know, you should, they, they say that you shouldn't, uh, have any part of the process of the decision-making process, right? Cause it's in, inappropriate if you're to, to bring something up, if you're not going to vote on it, it's kind of immoral, so to say, um, you know, and, and, a lot of people are are starting to lean towards the the sad thing of abstention. And abstention is built to relieve conflict of interest, not to, to make an, you know, it, it, you should be making that hard vote. You should be voting yes or no, whether you like it or not, uh, except if you have uh, a conflict of interest. And believe it or not, some municipalities are actually taking up ordinance and codes to prevent, uh, trying to prevent their elected officials from abstaining because it's not only becoming a Ho-Chunk issue, it's actually became becoming a uh, issue for the majority, the, 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 the public majority. There's some, some counties and states where they require you to make a vote or if you abstain, uh, what they do is they create um, uh a two-way draw. So if you abstain from a vote and it's to overturn a majority of votes in favor, and if you abstain from the vote and it's just a majority, it would then count as a, a no vote. So there are some ways that we as a tribal people could get our, our elected officials to ensure that they're, they're voting. But the best, best way to do it is for us to track how they're voting on those issues. It's important that we vote. They get paid to make those decisions. They get paid to make the vote. They get paid to research the information. So there should never be a um, a vote of abstention because they're unfamiliar with the situation. Well, what you about, let, what, what, hold on a second. There's a couple things I wanna talk about. Number one, um, general counsel. We have numerous people going to general counsel when we had general counsel and abstaining from these votes. How do we tell these people, you know, vote, don't abstain, abstain. I, I don't, okay, I'm, I'm getting upset because I don't understand how people abstain from voting at general counsel when your vote is so important. I would agree with you. So the, the, how do we stop that? We have to create rules for ourselves to say, why would, why would you abstain? You, you know, we could eliminate it most and that's where I was trying to get at here, too, that most people don't ask if you abstain. You either vote yes or you vote no. And they don't allow you to the opportunity to say if you abstain. The, if you listen to the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, they don't ask for abstentions. They just ask for yays or nays. So we don't really have to record it if we don't want to. What it would do, and this is where the other part that you have to look at is, does an abstention count towards the vote of the majority or does it not count as a vote? Because if you're abstaining, you're choosing not to vote. Therefore, if you choose not to vote, you should not be included in the quorum. Therefore, you can make it illegitimate as far as the quorum is being broken to show that those people are not holding true. Well, so we 
could do a change in the, in, in our organizational meeting standards. Using that uh, logic, then, then initially when that vote was taken for the um, spending limits, with uh, seven people voting abstaining, they wouldn't have had quorum, and that um, vote would never would have taken place then. That's absolutely correct, and that's what we got to really be careful of because we could probably, well, if we had a different judiciary mindset, you could we could take that and say this was an illegal vote or it should have been declined or denied instead of the president vetoing it or us requesting the veto. It, it should be an automatic taking the court and say, yeah, this doesn't count because abstentions mean that they didn't decided not to vote, so therefore it failed. But we've got to build those. You, we talked a week or two ago about uh, how we can put in these measures and what we can prevent. It's about us getting more involved and and kind of forcing our government to act more like a government and those elected officials to make those hard decisions. But we have to meet. We have to be a general counsel, and we have to force those issues. Okay, so basically, coming down to this, it's it's all about us forcing our representatives, our legislators, to vote and not just sit on the sidelines. Absolutely. And it takes us being watchdogs. We have to watchdog our legislators to make sure that they're they're doing something. They're making a vote. You know, an abstention should be we should we should make a rule for ourselves that if you're abstaining, you better have a really good reason why. There's a conflict of interest. There's nepotism. There's something that that has happened that has disallowed you to make that vote. You know, maybe it should be a letter from uh, we build some process. But right now we have no enforcement mechanism to to make them vote other than here. I'm at the area meeting. You better vote yes or no, because we're going to start checking that against you and we're not going to vote for you next time. Or at general counsel, if you're not voting, you can be present. Um, we're going to decide to remove you from office or recall you from office, which is within our power. Do we have a mechanism to uh, count up all the votes um, annually and no, uh, publish I, that? I, I, I Well, we do kind of publish it, but it's a matter of having to work record it. In other words, they, they record all the votes. And that should be something the legislature themselves freely and openly submit to. That shows their voting or, or their, their voting history. Um, in the US government, what they there's a bunch of nonprofits that actually watchdog that information and, and share it. But you know, we we, general counsel or the office of general counsel or general counsel agency should be telling everybody how they're, how that's going on. And there should be something and it should be recorded and it should be displayed. That's a scary thing is, you know, that we don't watch it and we don't listen to it because we're paying these guys eighty, ninety thousand $90,000 a year to make decisions on behalf of our people. And they're not doing their job because by the definition of abstention means choosing not to vote. You're there to cast a vote in favor of the, for the people. So if you're not, if you're abstaining, you're basically not doing your job, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm in total agreement with that. 
And I like the idea of uh, the let the um, general count. I mean, general counsel agency or whatever we're uh, we're talking about the general counsel right now, being a watchdog on the legislature and keeping track of these votes. That would be uh, well entertaining to be truthful and illuminating, because we would find out who was sitting on the sidelines consistently, and who was partaking. Um, Absolutely. I'd like to know who's. Uh, Who's the king or who's the queen of um, abstentions? I'd like to know who's getting paid and not doing the heavy lifting. I would, you know, you would, you would think that the whole office of the president would would be able to provide something like that, or even the vice president, if requested. Have you, you know, if you go to your area meeting, can you ask their voting record on the last six months on issues? I don't know. Okay, I'm sure we could, but. The, the other piece of this question that you're asking how they vote is, how do they vote on land leases for individual tribal members? How do they vote on business leases for bringing business into tribal lands? How do they vote on uh, uh, casino issues? Or how do they vote on uh, tribal tr- on laws and amending? That's really the key of it, not just how they voted, but w- what they're voting on. That's really important too. So we need but, a we, we really need a watchdog just on the voting. Absolutely, you know that's where I'd hope when 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 we brought forth general counsel agency originally, that's what my hopes that general counsel agency would be there to do to carry forward the needs and the wants of the general counsel when general counsel is not in session, and they would be able to report back to the people how the legislature was voting. And then to make sure that our next meeting happened or to, to find out where our resolutions were in the process. But somehow, you know, unfortunately, we kind of messed things up and it became a quasi uh, le- super legislator. Or they, they felt that they had the authority to do it. But really what we need is we need to reinstitute an office that can watch that information for us, because quite frankly, our legislature doesn't meet during the evening, so not all of our tribal members can attend the, 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 the meetings. So how can how can we as tribal members that are working in the outside world attend these meetings, you know, or know how they vote, except for I'm going to make my own check mark uh, at, at, uh, at every month or every two weeks when I get the vote up. So well, we need one, something. One last thing uh, before we go is um, executive session. How would we ever, 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 ever know how our legislators vote in executive session if there is no sunshine, I mean, no sunset law? We will never be able to know what's going on. And, and, and actually, there's there, there that goes back to the Ethics and Open Meetings Act that I talk about. It's really important. There's no action in, in anywhere in, in municipal governments that a vote can happen in executive session. All votes have to happen in open session. Now, some of the information can be uh, kind of redacted, but the, but ultimately, all decisions are made in the public. Okay. Only we only we have allowed for uh, executive session to occur. It's a constitutional. It's under Article Five, Section Ten, and it allows them to go into executive session. Um, and it says that it's excluded from those things. But what it doesn't show, what it doesn't, that should be amended in the Constitution to say 
all decisions can need to be made in open forum. In other words, that executive session, all those votes need to be done in open session, not in executive session. Right? No, I, 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 I miss, I misspoke because um, now that I'm thinking about it, they do. If you look in the WODOC in the minutes, the legislative minutes, they always go into executive session. They come out of executive session, and then they vote on what they discussed in executive session. So technically, once again, they're adhering to the law, but they're not adhering to the what do you call it? The um, spirit of the law. The spirit of the law. So why would you do that if you're if you're a legislator? Why do you constantly hide behind the law? Um, I don't well, know. Well, here's the deal. Why aren't we seeing the resolutions that are being approved? How come those agenda items aren't on the agenda prior to it going into the executive session? Okay. What resolutions are they approving or not approving? What res- You should be able to pull up any resolution that, that our government has provided. We should be able to see everything and anything because we're supposed to be an open and transparent government. Unfortunately, we don't. But again, it goes back to this, you know, Shelby, we talked about it beforehand. We need, we need these laws, the Open Meetings Act, the Ethics Code, um, enrollment, and elections to be, uh, to be clear, to be free from tyranny, from, to allow the people to be knowledgeable of what's going on. And we need those legislators to be, um, to be clear and poignant. And it's not, it's not a matter of us and them. And, you know, it's been said that John Warner is anti-legislature. He hates the branch. Actually, I'm 100% of the opposite. I believe legislature is a very critical and important piece to, our, to the equal the, uh, the balance of our government. But when one branch is overpowering another branch, that's where I have the problems. So if we have them self-regulating, like they're supposed to, according to the Constitution, and them realizing, hey, look, I'm just a legislator. These are my responsibilities. You know, it'd be great. Then then it's, it's open. Then it's fair, and we have our checks and balances. And then, you know, the only thing we can complain about is how they voted. I didn't like it. Well, too bad. The majority got outvoted. <laughs> and that's the way democracy works, right? Well, yeah. All right, let's wrap this up and put this into a, a neat little bow. So what are the things we have to do? Number one, we have to um, count all the votes. Let's let's make all our legislators accountable for their uh, abstention votes. Let's outlaw abstention votes. Or create a reasoning or a framework around those abstentions. The reasoning for an abstention. All right, and then let's do something about general counsel abstentions. Come on, people, how can you abstain? I would agree. <laughs> I would agree. There shouldn't be anything that we shouldn't be afraid of. Our vote, you know, what wasn't talked about was a secret ballot. You know. Yep. And, and if our legislators voted in secret ballot, would things be different? Maybe, but we wouldn't know where our, our, our elected officials stand. But general counsel fits with a secret ballot system. Yeah, you're absolutely right? right. You're absolutely right. So there should never be an abstention. You're absolutely right. So let's just take the abstention away from an option. 
you either vote yes or no or you don't vote. And if you don't get a vote, it doesn't meet the quorum. <laughs> and the majority doesn't go. I mean, really, if you think about it, there's simple solutions. And I think by removing the abstention from general counsel, especially since it's a, a secret ballot, doesn't matter. I would also like to remove the abstention from uh, the legislative vote. And if they do vote, if the abstentions uh, outnumber the votes, then the measure doesn't pass. We could do that. We could force it by resolution and we, the people, can make that decision. That's up to all of us to decide. And I hope there's enough of us that are thinking logically to say, yes, we need our, our, we need our elected officials to make decisions. Well, I don't want to hold you up, so you got anything else to add before we uh, close up shop tonight? No, I'm good with it. Just keep on bringing on those new candidates. Love hearing about them. All right. Enjoy the rest of your evening and have a good night. Yeah, me too. Nine days till primary election day for the Ho-Chunk Nation 2023. First thing I'd like to do is congratulate everyone who has thrown their hat into the ring. Congratulations. I think what you're doing is something that should be lauded and celebrated if you're doing it for the right reason. If you're running to help our people with no thought of yourself, kudos. If you just decide to throw your name in the hat because it's an easy 80 G's or whatever whatever a president makes, I got nothing for you. I was really blown away by all the candidate forums that were held. This was fantastic work by the people who set these forums up. Kudos to you on the thought and execution. I am really impressed by the people using technology on getting their message out there. From Facebook Live to innovative Facebook ads, I'm hearing of candidates burning up the airwaves, calling friends and family members. I've read some really good plans and thoughts about the future of our nation through these ads. And I'm not going to rain on anyone's parade here. Those of you who have a vested interest in seeing our nation thrive and back these candidates, kudos. I personally want to see a huge participation number in this election. What do we have, 5,500 possible voters? That's what I'm looking for. A huge voter turnout. Nine days, people, on March 7th, vote. (laughs) 